The Supreme Court gets back to work tomorrow after a long winter recess. Welcome to The Term, a podcast by Law360 to keep you up to speed about the nation's top bench and the justices that preside there. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the Supreme Court for Law360 here in Washington. And joining me now from our New York studio is co-host and Law360 editor-at-large, Natalie Rodriguez. Welcome, Natalie. Hey, Jimmy. Happy New Year. I am so glad to be back. Uh, What's new for you in 2020? Well, I'll tell you what's not going to be happening is listening to social media rumors. Uh, That was the admonition in Chief Justice Roberts' end-of-year report as he, you know, pretty much called on everyone to really up the ante on their civics participation. (laughs) So I think I'm going to be heeding that call. So wait, are you supposed to just be, like, not on social media then? No, I think it's just to kind of not, you know... Listen to everything you see, you know, what's the famous quote from Abraham Lincoln? Don't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, that, that is a good uh, kind of 2020 resolution. I might heed that one myself, although I'm, not, I'm like, uh, not on it so often. Yeah, he had another interesting one in his end of year report where, you know, he kind of sums up the year in the judiciary. And, and, and one of the things he said toward the end, which I thought was actually kind of newsworthy, I wrote a little story about it. Um, he says, I ask my judicial colleagues to continue their efforts to promote public confidence in the judiciary through their rulings and through civic outreach. So it's kind of a, you know, a timely reminder in an era of super hyper, you know, politicized courts. And so you have Chief Justice Roberts again, you know, living up to his reputation as the courts, as the steward of the court's reputation. On that note about super politicized court issues, uh, we actually have a lot of that on our radar this week. (laughs) We've got uh, a lot to talk about regarding abortion, Bridgegate, Obamacare. Um, We have a case set for argument next week that's going to be involving the somewhat notorious New Jersey Bridgegate scandal. Uh, There are two convictions stemming from that scandal that are being appealed. We're also going to be telling you about a case that's on our radar involving the Affordable Care Act. Um, that could make its way to the justices. But first, Jimmy, you have an update on a major abortion case we've been watching. What's the latest? Yeah, that's right. This is in the case June Medical Services versus Ghee, which is you know something we've talked about in, in episodes last year. Um, it's the case of, uh, from Louisiana about a Louisiana law requiring abortion doctors to have hospital admitting privileges. And so you have a, a clinic and a couple abortion doctors who are challenging that, saying it's going to restrict access. Um, so you've had a wave of amicus briefs filed in recent days on, on both sides of this case. Um, but I wanted to focus on two um, in particular. Um, the first one is from you know more than 200 uh, GOP members of Congress who filed an uh, amicus brief urging the court um, to use this case as a, as a kind of an opportunity to reconsider Roe versus Wade and uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. These are the two, obviously, landmark abortion rulings that everybody knows. Um, and they say, you know, the circuit courts are really struggling to work out, you know, how to, uh, you know, apply and these standards to different abortion restrictions across the country. So it, when it came out, you know, it hit the press. It, it really, you know, made a lot of headlines because it seems like they are, you know, absolutely taking um, advantage of this new conservative majority on the court and, you know, putting a really bold ask in, in basically what's the first major abortion case to come up to the court since uh, uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh took the bench. I have to imagine that's making a lot of progressives nervous. Uh, what's the likelihood the court's going to take such an argument seriously? 
Yeah, I think everyone pretty much agrees that, that it's uh, not going to use this case to overrule <clears throat> Roe versus Wade. Um, you know, Louisiana, the, uh, the the respondent in the case, isn't even um, seeking that result. And I, I think that, uh, you know, Chief Justice Roberts is unlikely to go out of his way to, to make a surprise landmark abortion ruling, you know, this term with so much else on the docket. Um, but, you know, I think it's more likely, though, you know, not certain um, that the Supreme Court goes with another amicus brief that I wanted to talk about. And this one was filed by um, U.S. Solicitor General Noel Francisco um, on behalf of the federal government. It came the same day on January 2nd. And so the government's, you know, asking the court to uphold these new uh, hospital admitting privileges uh, requirements for abortion providers saying that, you know, they don't run afoul of the court's abortion uh, precedents, Roe and Casey. Um, but it, it's, it gets kind of interesting because I don't know if you remember us talking about that there was a really similar case from 2016 before the court, Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt. That's right. That one um, had a, a law out of Texas, right? Yeah. So that one was struck down. Um, you had Justice Kennedy kind of playing the you know swing vote role. Um, Chief Justice Roberts actually voted you know with the other conservatives to let that you know law stand. But basically, in 2016, you had a Supreme Court that struck down a virtually identical law to the one in this Louisiana case. So you know the government in its uh, January 2nd brief it said you know D- don't worry. There's a way that you can distinguish these two cases. You know I mean you can uphold whole woman's health and yet not strike down the uh, Louisiana uh, law in this case. And the reason they say that is because it's all fact-specific. I mean, these are very fact-specific cases. And so Hellerstedt tells us that we need to look at the individual record to see just what the precise effect of a particular law is going to have on abortion access before we decide that, you know, it creates an undue burden in violation of Casey. So there but it gets... So they're arguing basically that the effect of the law on the ground is going to be different in Louisiana than it was in Texas. Right. Or at least that, you know, the the record in the uh, Louisiana case is a lot stronger than the one in the Texas case is essentially what their argument is. But they have a backup argument that's pretty interesting. And so if, you know, Roberts or the other uh, justices can't see their way to distinguishing, um, you know, Hellerstadt in 2016 from June Medical Services this term, then they should have a pretty simple solution. Overturn Hellerstadt. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's an it's a less, you know, aggressive ask of the court than the, obviously more than 200 Republican lawmakers made in their amicus brief, but it's, you know, it's no less newsworthy because it it seems like it's a kind of a more plausible route for the justices to take, which is, you know, ditching an abortion precedent from just three years ago. And a bit of a dark horse argument, too, because it could potentially pave the way for, you know, chipping away at further protections from Roe versus Wade or Planned Parenthood. I'm assuming, you know, whatever the court rules in this case is going to tell us a lot about the direction of the court's uh, kind of abortion jurisprudence uh, to come. I think that's totally fair. Uh, Moving on uh, to what the court will be tackling next week, uh, we also have on Tuesday um, Kelly versus U.S., which is an appeal of two convictions from the so-called Bridgegate case. So for those of you who might not be familiar, um, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie came under fire uh, for allegedly causing a huge traffic jam in 2013 by closing two of three lanes on the George Washington Bridge to hurt a political rival. 
Yeah, so I remember when the scandal, you know, bubbled up in the national media in 2014 when some of those unsavory emails came to light about, you know, political revenge on a mayor that didn't support Chris Christie. And I just remember thinking that this was like an instant classic New Jersey story. <laughs> All the political intrigue of the Port Authority, revenge on a mayor. Of course, you have Chris Christie at the center of it. Yeah, so I live in neighboring New York, and this was just such a major scandal at the time. I mean, it was the only thing the local news talked about for weeks, and they just kept showing video footage of this terrible traffic jam that had been caused by, like, them closing two out of three lanes on the bridge. Now, Governor Chris Christie was never charged, but two of his aides were convicted, um, specifically on wire fraud and defrauding federal program charges. Um, and essentially, the two officials, um, you know, former Port Authority of New York and New Jersey Executive William E. Baroni Jr. and a gubernatorial aide, uh, Bridget Ann Kelly, uh, they were charged with essentially faking a traffic study that was used as the reasoning for closing these two lanes. Um, but then, as you mentioned, there were emails that came out and that showed that there might be some other reasons uh, for, for why they did this. Basically, that the traffic study was bogus and that they were just trying to exact political revenge on the mayor of, what was it, um, Fort Lee, New Jersey, I yeah. think, that refused to endorse uh, Chris Christie in the 2013 election or something like that. Exactly. So, you know, this has gone through the lower courts and the Third Circuit, and um, they've all been basically affirming the convictions. Uh, but the two officials are saying that this is a major overreach by the prosecutors and that if they let stand um, this decision, that it could basically wipe out kind of rest previous restrictions on using criminal statutes to make for good government or, you know, to make officials be like better people basically <laughs> um and you know and, and that it could cause even more um more kind of political rival plays like this uh by allowing you know political rivals to challenge basically any decision that they make you know as being politically motivated rather than right. the real official reason it's it's the slippery slope argument that if you go after us for closing down the George Washington Bridge lanes, then, you know, God knows what else you're going to target with your corruption statutes. But it kind of reminds me of the, um, you know, the 2016 case before the Supreme Court involving Virginia's governor, Bob McDonald. And I, I seem to recall him making kind of a similar argument that the, that the prosecution had a, a very novel theory of the case and that there were all these, you know, untoward repercussions that would come out of the, the conviction um, in, 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 in the political sphere, um, and the Supreme Court agreed, and they vacated his conviction. Um, so I, I'm wondering if we're, we're going to follow a similar trajectory in this case. Yeah, so our senior white-collar reporter, Jody Godoy, she's reported how, you know, that this case could have some implications for another Second Circuit case coming up, the pipeline involving New York bid rigging. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where the court decides um, what the line is, basically, on this wire fraud issue. Yeah, I suppose we'll get a lot more hints from where the justices are leaning at their uh, oral arguments next week. Um, okay, great. So so let me turn now to a, a 
kind of an interesting case that's bubbled up on the court's docket. Um, this is going to be another big Affordable Care Act case because on January 2nd, House Democrats in around 20 blue states in the District of Columbia have filed petitions asking the Supreme Court to settle the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act pretty much once and for all. This again? <laughs> What's the new challenge? <laughs> Yes, this again, the Supreme Court just cannot seem to escape the Affordable Care Act. But um, so this is a case coming out of the Fifth Circuit. Uh, I don't know if you remember the big tax bill where they you know, reduced the penalty for the individual mandate down to zero when you know, Republicans pushed that through Congress. Well, basically, there was a lawsuit by a you know, Republican state AG saying that after they did that, that means that the individual mandate is now um, unconstitutional because, if you recall, um, Chief Justice John Roberts, in his swing vote, he held that the individual mandate was only constitutional insofar as it was a tax. And so now that it's not a tax, it's unconstitutional. So a district court agreed um, and struck down not only the, the individual mandate, but basically the entire ACA because it said that those two things couldn't be severed from one another well that's a, a big decision <laughs> that was a big decision when it came out so people were hoping for a, a or i should say progressives were hoping for a swift reversal by the fifth circuit but in fact the fifth circuit um kind of gave a little bit of life to that theory of the case and it, and it, it reversed the case but only on the grounds kind of that like yeah okay the individual mandate's unconstitutional but you didn't explain your reasoning for on this severability question well enough so oh. they kind of gave the district judge another chance to do that so so basically you can imagine, they didn't show their work on their homework yes you, you okay. yeah you <laughs> i can't remember the judge's name but it was essentially that um and so democrats and you know in the house and in various um state attorney general's offices they are freaking out because there's this looming question of um, you know whether the whole ACA should fall now that Congress has done this to the individual mandate. So they filed this, um, you know, pair of petitions asking the Supreme Court to kind of take up the case and right the wrongs of the Fifth Circuit and and basically just throw this uh, lawsuit in the dumpster. And they want it to happen this term. So you know, in case there was anything else going on this term, that they should also decide the fate of the ACA once again. Like there's not enough on on the docket for, for this no, year. No, I don't think there's enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be an interesting uh, summer of 2020, I would say, if if this one gets added to the docket. For sure. Uh, so I think that's going to do it for us today, Jimmy. Thanks so much. Uh, good talking to you again, and can't wait till till we talk about what's happening next week. Absolutely, we'll have to recap those arguments. Uh, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Danielle Smith, our executive producer, Amber McKinney, and our contributing reporters this week, Jody Godoy, Jeannie O'Sullivan, and Jeff Overly. Music for the show comes from Slender Beats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law 360 in the term. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.